What does it mean when you talk to five customers and three of them tell you they are suffering from the same problem in your product and you should fix it? Is that good data? Is it enough data to make a decision to fix that problem? Well, I'm reading a book that I've been wanting to read for years. I've been putting it off, although it's been on my Kindle forever. Algorithms to Live By by Brian Christian and Tom Griffiths, subtitled The Computer Science of Human Decisions. It's about how computer science and mathematical algorithms can be applied to everyday challenges people have, such as searching for a new apartment, hiring an employee, and organizing your closet. And this seems mundane, and the first few chapters are definitely in that category, although they're entertaining to read. But in Chapter 6, we come to Bayes' Law and predicting the future. Well, you know how I always say that one of our biggest challenges in product management is that creating a roadmap is predicting the future, and that's obviously really difficult. So obviously, this chapter is going to pique my interest quite a lot. But what I found in that chapter is the solution to a different problem that has been nagging at me and product managers, especially ones who want to be data-driven. And as always, I'm using air quotes when I say that, even though you can't see me. Some of us are familiar with Bayes' law in the context of base rates and understanding how false positives and false negatives can give extremely counterintuitive results when testing large populations. That's a topic of great interest during the pandemic, for example. And you may have heard of Bayesian algorithms for detecting email spam and other types of malicious software. But the topic of today's episode, while related to Bayes' theorem, has never been discussed in the context of product management before, as far as I know. But it's super powerful and backed up by centuries of smart math. And it can help you answer that question I started with. If three customers out of five complain about a problem in your product, should you fix it? So in this episode, I'll introduce the Laplace Bayes Estimator, also known as the Rule of Succession or Laplace's Rule. I'll talk about how to use the Rule of Succession in a few common product management situations and how to talk about your insights from the Rule of Succession in Persuasion. Hi there, this is Nels Davis, and you're listening to episode number 95 of the Secrets of Product Management podcast. You can find the notes for this episode and links to all the resources I mentioned at secretsofpm.com slash 85. I think you'll find this episode pretty cool about how to apply insights from some of the mathematics gods of the 18th century to help you create better product outcomes and experiences. The topics in this episode are very related to the topics of recent episodes, like number 93, what if you don't have quantitative data? Very related. Number 92, how to make trustworthy decisions based primarily on your intuition, which often is the only real data you have. And episode number 86 on data-driven product management in general and what that means and how we should interpret it. And that's just a sampling of the tons of resources in my previous episodes on storytelling, persuasion, prioritization, working with developers, working with marketers, and on my website, it's a perfect opportunity to binge on content that will help you ramp up your product management skills, knowledge, and tools. So let's set the Wayback Machine to 1774. <laughs> we'll get to that, why I use that date. So one thing to note, when you're starting to think about using your customer conversations is that your customer conversations are data. So let's say you have 500 customers for a mid-sized enterprise software startup. That might be a reasonable number. And you talk to five of those customers, and three of the five mention a problem they're having that they think you could create a good solution for. You want to figure out if this feature is worth working on. Will this feature be important enough to enough of your customers that it's worth pursuing? So one obvious thing we'd really like to know is, how many of our customers are likely to be suffering from this problem? What percentage? We've talked to five and heard about the problem from three of them. That's 60% of the five. But what does that imply about the total population? 
Is there any inference we can make? It's clearly not a statistically significant sample, right? Even if you don't know anything about statistics, that kind of seems clear. Well, math to the rescue. This is math from 1774, not long after Isaac Newton invented calculus. So in 1763, the Reverend Thomas Bayes had come up with his theorem about the probability of an event occurring, given our prior knowledge about conditions that might be related to the event. For example, and this example is taken directly from the Wikipedia page on Bayes' theorem, if the risk of developing health problems is known to increase with age, Bayes' theorem allows the risk to an individual of a known age to be assessed more accurately by conditioning on their age than simply assuming that the individual is typical of the population as a whole. In normal words, that means we expect an older person to be more likely to get some diseases than a younger person, and so if we are presented with an older person, we change our assessment of the likelihood. So Bayes' theorem and its application is really beyond the scope of this podcast, but Algorithms to Live By has a good basic overview of this. So Bayes' theorem depends on knowing some probabilities and their relationship. In the example, the average length of a person's life, for example, the rate at which people get diseases at different ages, and the particular age of the person in question. So these are called priors in the jargon, short for prior knowledge. So Laplace, another mathematician, in, the, in 1774, wanted to answer the question, what if I don't have any priors? What if I don't know the probabilities of the different outcomes, but I do have data about the actual outcomes? And this is the situation we find ourselves in, right? That's the setup. It's pretty interesting that Laplace, 300 years ago, looked into this question, I think. And he found a very simple formula for calculating the likely probability of a condition based on a few measurements. Essentially, he ran Bayes' theorem backwards. I know what the outcomes are. What probabilities would be most likely to explain this outcome? So Laplace used Isaac Newton's new calculus to get the result, and which was one of the many early successes of calculus when it was still new and considered by some to be unrigorous. So let's get to the answer. Laplace's rule of succession says the most likely value for the percentage of customers who experience this issue is the fraction m plus 1 over n plus 2, where n is the number of tests, in other words, the number of customer interviews in this case, which is 5, and m is the number of occurrences of the problem, which is 3 in this case. So in our example of talking to 5 customers, 3 of whom experience a problem, that gives us 4 sixths or 2 thirds, or the likelihood that 66% of our customers suffer from this problem. Now, do we know for sure that that's the answer? We don't. But we know that of all the possible potential rates of this problem occurring, 66% is the most likely given the data that we have. So the formula is specifically designed to help us estimate underlying probabilities when there are few observations or for events that have not been observed to occur at all in some sample data. So, just like the data we have out of customer interviews, we can never interview all of our customers or even a statistically significant subset. So Laplace's rule turns out to be highly valuable for us in these situations. Now, the good news is that it also does a good job of aligning with our human intuition. And in fact, scientists have tested this. For many kinds of data, our intuition about probabilities aligns well with the results suggested by Laplace's rule. Why is this idea so powerful for us product managers? Well, we know that we get a lot of highly dense insight and intuition by talking to our customers in interviews. 
And we also know that our other tools, the ones that appear to have more statistical significance, are extremely limited in how much they can tell us, like our product analytics tools, which can't do anything to tell us why clients are or are not doing things. And it can also miss a lot of usage problems, such as how much do clients use that feature that we didn't implement? Our analytics tools can't tell us the answer to that because the feature isn't there. Now, surveys, which a lot of product managers really love, they are actually subject to lots of problems. I tend to highly mistrust any survey, including cognitive bias and just being bad, especially if they're not created by a trained and skilled survey expert. And you see lots of these surveys that are just terrible. Um, a lot of them created by product managers, I'm sorry to say. But we do also have this fear about depending on customer conversations for learning things about the market. We think we're talking to too few people compared to our total set of customers, and therefore we don't have statistical significance. Now, I'm not going to get deep into statistics in this episode. We could do that in the future, perhaps. Of course, most of us have a very naive idea about what statistical significance actually means for the type of research we do. I mean, how many of us are trained in experimental methods and data science? Not actually that many. Even if we have a math or physics or engineering background, the types of statistics you usually do in those kinds of courses are not that sophisticated compared to the types of data that we're actually collecting. So the good news is that the Laplace rule gives us a reason for hope about the use of this customer interview data that we were feeling bad about before because it wasn't statistically significant. It gives us a different way of thinking about statistical significance, basically, and a direction to search when you want to decide where to focus additional, more detailed research. So I've always had an intuitive sense that getting data from your customers in the form of interviews is very powerful, even if the obvious statistical control is not there. That is, the p-value of five conversations when you have 500 customers is not very high. But based on Laplace's rule of succession, you can calculate the expected value of the result you learned, the most probable value, even if it's not the correct value, with this very simple formula. Now, I want to talk a little bit about the weak signal. So I've talked about this concept of the weak signal before. And the idea of when you're talking to customers, you're talking to lots of customers so that you can ev evoke this weak signal of a problem that they're not necessarily thinking about very clearly or something like that. Now, the weak signal aspect of this is that often it takes a very good line of questions to actually uncover the problem that you are learning about. It might take multiple conversations to realize that something you heard and interpreted as an offhand remark once or twice is actually significant data. So, in fact, if you hear an offhand remark in three of your conversations out of the five, that actually may mean that it's something you really need to pay attention to because there's a 66% likelihood that all of your customers are making that offhand remark, and that might be an opportunity to create a solution for something. So figuring out that you heard something is the detection of the weak signal. But the bottom line is that hearing the same thing, even if weekly, from five different customers or from three, whatever it is, is an indicator that there is something meaningful to follow up on. And Laplace's rule tells you how strong the indicator might be. So you might be thinking about, well, how do you use this information for persuasion? So your audience wants what they think of as statistical significance, and they don't understand Laplace's rule. So how do you get around that? Well, there's a few things you can do. Obviously, storytelling still has a really important purpose in this whole thing, irrespective of whether you've got a ton of data or you're working off these five interviews. 
creating a story that sort of puts your audience into the shoes of the person suffering the problem is going to be the most compelling thing you can do in terms of persuasion. Now, the other piece, though, is that once you have gotten a sense that, oh, 66% of our customers are probably suffering from this problem, then you can start using validation, using other more scalable kind of research techniques. For example, this may be where surveys come in to get more information from a wider swath of the customer base. Another thing you could do is you don't even necessarily have to do more validation of the problem per se. Once Laplace's rule has given you guidance that it's likely to be a problem for a meaningful segment of your customers, you could go directly to a prototype and start having customers look at that and see how they react to it. If they say, oh, this is amazing, this will make my life so much better, then that's a good indicator, if you hear that from a few people, that it's something you maybe should build. If people don't care about it, then maybe that's the best way to detect that, oh, Laplace's rule was off in this case. So that's some ways you can use the ideas and the insights you get from Laplace's rules in persuasion, even if you don't ever talk about Laplace's rule per se in those conversations or in those presentations. So how can you use this information right away? Well, I recommend the book. It's fun and filled with lots of easy-to-digest descriptions and examples of fundamental computer science and statistics concepts like queuing theory and search and sorting and big O notation and lots of other useful mental models. The book, again, is Algorithms to Live By by Brian Christian and Tom Griffiths, subtitled The Computer Science of Human Decisions. I'll put a link to the book in the show notes at secretsofpm slash 95. And then secondly, I'd consider how you might use Laplace's rule in your own work. Obviously, the whole goal of me telling you about Laplace's rule is for you to be able to make use of it. So you may have heard some ideas from your customers or the market that you've struggled to validate across the whole population. You might be able to use Laplace's rule to get a sense of how common the problem is likely to be and use that insight to guide your further validation, just like it sounds. So good luck with that. I hope that Laplace's rule turns out to be a powerful mental model for you. I think it's a really great tool for your decision-making and validation and persuasion toolkit. As I've mentioned before, data has become one of my favorite topics. I'm a numbers geek and I'm a math geek, so I love reading about Laplace and how Newton, how he used calcula Newton's new calculus and all this stuff. Even though I'm normally pretty negative about simplistic approaches to analytics and so-called metrics. So I love Laplace's rule because it's so sophisticated compared to a lot of the common product management data talk. And there are links to the book and to many other re related resources on the show page at secretsofpm.com slash 95. You can drop a comment on the show page there if you have comments or complaints on this episode or any other episode. I'm also on Twitter and LinkedIn. I'm Nils Davis on both. Feel free to follow and or connect with me on either platform. Love to have you connected. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast in your player of choice if you haven't already. And or share the episode with your friends and or enemies depending on how you felt about it. Until next time, this is Nels Davis. Bye-bye.